0: I want to welcome all of you to Lakeside tonight. It is a very special evening in the life of our church. We have the privilege of ordaining Oliver Smith, but only in the sense that God has already ordained Oliver, because to ordain simply means to appoint. That's what the word means, to appoint. Therefore, what we're doing tonight is publicly recognizing, publicly affirming that God has called Oliver to be a church leader, that he has equipped him with spiritual gifts necessary for church leadership, and that he has appointed him to be a church leader. For a little over two years, Oliver has been an elder intern at Lakeside, which means that he has sat in on elder meetings, and he's been part of the various discussion in those meetings he doesn't just sit there and listen he participates he has also had to read about 10 books involving biblical doctrines and related issues several weeks ago our elders became an ordination council and met with Oliver and asked him many many questions pertaining to theology bible interpretation ministry marriage and family and character and I want you to know he did an outstanding job answering those questions and defending his positions biblically. In an ordination council we always tell the person we're questioning you do not have to agree with everybody here you just have to defend yourself biblically and he did a great job with that. So tonight and also we happen to agree with him on those things. So tonight the elders are laying hands on Oliver in a public display of our partnership with him. That's what it means. We lay hands on him to say, we are partners with you in recognition that God has appointed Oliver to be an elder and that he will soon be joining the elder board as one of our pastors. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with Oliver, here's some information about him. Oliver is 32 years old. He's lived in Clearwater all of his life. He first came to Lakeside in 2004 with his parents, Bill and Cheryl Smith, and his sister, Haley. He's married to Olivia, and he is the father of Miriam, Penelope, Hattie, and Carver. He's been a member of the Crew, which some of you may not be familiar with that. It stands for Pastors in Training. It's a course on preaching and church leadership that I have taught over the years. And Oliver, a few years back, was a part of that. He graduated with a bachelor's degree from Clearwater Christian College in 2012 and a Master's of Divinity degree from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2021. Over the years, Oliver has had the opportunity to teach in various Sunday school classes as well as from this pulpit. He oversees the widow's ministry at Lakeside and helps in leading the Sunday school community fellowship classes. He's been involved in a variety of different counseling and discipleship relationships, and over the last few years, I have been personally meeting with Oliver in a discipleship relationship. And he is the high school Bible teacher at Lakeside Christian School and has taught at the school for the last 11 years. And on a personal note, he's a little taller than me. <laughs> now, before we lay hands on Oliver, there will be two charges that will be given tonight. First, Bob Carver will give a personal charge to Oliver, and that's very appropriate. Bob Carver was Oliver's professor, his teacher at Clearwater Christian College, and then I will give a charge to the church, and then the elders will come up along with Bob, Oliver, and Olivia, and we will lay hands on them. And so, Bob, I'm going to invite you now to come up and to give a charge to Oliver. Thank you, Steve. What?
1: Did I hear you correctly, Paul? You want to leave me on Crete? Why? To further establish the gospel work there? by ordaining elders in all the churches? That sounds challenging. And not only that, but dealing with false teachers? Now that's downright daunting. I was your representative to the church in Corinth when they needed a little push to complete the offering that was being collected to bring relief to the poor saints in Judea. They were a challenging group, as you well know, Paul. pride, divisiveness, carnality, and lots more. But I served you well there. But Crete, even their own poets agree that the Cretans are difficult people. They're commonly described as habitual liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. My mom told me to stay away from those types. But Paul, I love you. You are like a father to me. And I love the Gospel. And I am honored that you are entrusting me with this work." Well, of course, that was an imaginary conversation between Titus and Paul. Or was it? I have my Bible open to the book of Titus, chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading not the whole chapter, but the first five verses, And then verses 10 through 16, and you will see that that conversation was quite accurate to the biblical text. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, Promised Before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior." This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work." Notice that Paul has just described the false teachers that Titus is going to have to deal with. And the next verse immediately, the first verse in chapter 2, reads this But as for you, you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine, that is, healthy doctrine. That is doctrine which will promote a healthy state in those who hear it. Now, Generally speaking, I think people know less about Titus than they do about Timothy. Both of them are valued younger associates that Paul entrusted very important ministries to. He not only entrusted the work to them, but he also instructed them and encouraged them in their work how blessed we are to have in our New Testament the pastoral epistles, First and 2 Timothy and Titus. Now my task tonight is to give a charge to Oliver as he is being ordained to the ministry tonight. And as such, my remarks will be directed specifically to Oliver tonight. But I invite you to come along for the ride. My charge tonight, Oliver, is going to be fivefold. Five things. Number one, take heed to yourself and to your family. Take heed to yourself and to your family. The ministry is by no means an easy vocation, contrary to what some people may think. There will be daily. Uh, daily Duties and demands to attend to. There'll be distractions galore. By no means allow these duties and distractions to cause you, Oliver, you personally, to neglect or postpone or diminish the time which you need for the cultivation of your own soul in the presence of God. There's no substitute for this. In First Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. A little bit earlier in that chapter, in verse 7, Paul said, train yourself for godliness. Like an athlete trains hard to compete in the hopes of winning. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be in training for godliness. When Paul was instructing the Ephesian elders who had come to him at Miletus on the homeward part of his third missionary journey, he said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves. I can think of no greater example for this than the example of Jesus Himself now, we read in Mark 1.35 that when Jesus had just had an extremely busy day of ministry, the next morning we are told that He arose a great while before day. He went out to a desolate place where He could be alone with His Father. And there He prayed. What a model that is for us. And Oliver, I encourage you with all the busyness of ministry and all the significant things that ministry calls you to, give attention to your own personal relationship to Jesus. Let nothing interfere with that. Mark my word, the neglect or disregard of your own private time with the Lord will have a damaging effect on your ministry. Every pastor and teacher in this church can testify to that. In the pastorals, when we read the lists of qualifications for elders and deacons found in 1 Timothy 3, but also Titus 1, we read that it is very important that one who is called to the ministry would manage his household well. However, your family is a great blessing from Almighty God. I wish you all could see what I see as I'm addressing Oliver and his sweet family do not neglect the nourishing and cherishing of your wife Olivia do not neglect the training and the admonition of your precious children precious children that God has given to you do not let the family take a back seat to the ministry that's a tragic blunder so number one take heed to yourself and to your family number 2 take heed to your example to the people of God to Timothy Paul wrote these words in 1 Timothy 4:12 let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech in conduct In love, in faith, in purity. That is, set the believers an example in what you say, how you act, how you regard people, how you trust God, and how you treat people. Similarly to Titus, Paul said, Titus 2, verses 7 and the beginning of verse 8, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Now, I use the ESV, as you can see, I think, probably, on the screen. I found it interesting that in the first Timothy reference, 4.12, The word example is used, and in the Titus reference, 2.7, the word model is used. Believe it or not, the same Greek word is found in both of those places. It's the word tupos, and it's a word that carries the idea of, well, striking with a hammer to leave an impression, Uh, not striking a hammer to leave the impression of the head of the hammer where it struck the wood, but striking something with a hammer so as to leave an impression as, for example, a type piece would do. Imagine we had a type piece with the letter A on it. And if that type piece were set on a soft material and struck with a hammer, it would leave an impression. The idea here is, as Paul instructs both Timothy and Titus to be an example, to be a model, your life... Oliver will leave an impression may it leave an impression for godliness on all who see it calvin said he and i think he was addressing timothy in his commentary at this point he must be a pattern of all virtue and a looking glass for men to see how they walk to the end that no man find any occasion by him to mock the office and beware that his life be not a stumbling block whereby God's doctrine may come to be profaned. Doctrine and an honest and godly life are two yoke fellows that cannot be sundered in them whom God has appointed to govern his church. Doctrine and a godly life. Number two, take heed to your example to the people of God. Number three. Take heed to the ministry which God has entrusted to you. Now it might be thought that that should have been point number one, shouldn't it? I'm sticking with one, two, and this is number three. Take heed to the ministry which God has entrusted to you. It is so interesting that in the Scriptures, the Scriptures of the New Testament in particular, the ministry is described by many different terms. For example... The ministry is described as the work of an overseer. An overseer is one who watches over others for their welfare, and thus, be watchful and protective of God's people. The work of the ministry is also described as the work of a pastor. The pastor, one who does the work of a shepherd, leading and feeding and protecting the flock. And thus, be careful... To nourish God's flock and guard them from those who would harm them. In the third place, it is described as the work of a minister, one who performs the work of a servant who waits on tables, for example, and thus be humble, be a humble servant to God's people. But there's more. It's also the work of an evangelist, an evangelist, one who brings a message of good news. And thus, be clear and compelling in your message to the lost. Furthermore, it's described as the work of a preacher. One who makes a public, official announcement. A herald. And thus, be precise and practical as you proclaim God's truth. Furthermore, it is the work of a steward. A steward was... A slave entrusted with the management of his master's household. And thus, be faithful in that which the master has entrusted to you. One more term. The ministry in 2 Corinthians 5.20 is described as the work of an ambassador. An official representative of the king. And thus be impassioned and impartial to those needing reconciliation to God. However, I see in in these various terms that are used to describe the ministry in the New Testament, I see many things that you need to give faithful attention to as you take heed to the ministry which God has entrusted to you. Be faithful in the many aspects of the ministry. Number four, take heed that God and God alone receives the glory for what is accomplished through you in your ministry. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4-7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.11, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Oliver, you have an inestimably great, an inestimably valuable treasure committed to you. The treasure of the gospel. Don't ever forget that you're just like a clay pot, (laughs) a clay pot, fragile and breakable. Why would God commit the ministry of his precious word to individuals who are likened to clay pots? Very clearly, the reason is so that God can be glorified and not us. Note that every man has deeply rooted in his own heart the desire to receive glory or praise for what he does. And Satan will feed that desire in everything that you do. But remember, man's chief end is to glorify God. Make God's glory your aim. One final thing. Number five, take heed to not forget that you will give an account of your ministry to God. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Well done, good and faithful servant is a cheering thought. But the fact that we will give an account for our ministry to God is a sobering thought. It is. Every under-shepherd will answer to the chief shepherd. Every servant will answer to his master. See to it that you will do so with joy and not with grief or regrets. After all, Oliver, this is not your ministry. It is God's ministry. The ministry that God has entrusted to you. I have with me a book that many of you are familiar with, I think. It's a small book called The Valley of Vision. I would highly commend this book to you if you're unfamiliar with it. In the latter part of the book, there is one that is called A Minister's Prayer. Listen to some of the words of this. I'll not read every word of it. O my Lord, let not my ministry be approved only by men or merely win the esteem and affections of people. Save me from self-opinion and self-seeking. Cause me and those that hear me to behold Thee in the light of special faith and hereafter in the blaze of endless glory. Make my every sermon a means of grace to myself. And help me to experience the power of thy dying love. Look upon the doubts and discouragements of my ministry and keep me from self importance. Command thy blessing on my weak, unworthy labors and on the message of salvation given. And it concludes with these words O Lord of power and grace. All hearts are in thy hands. All events at thy disposal. Set the seal of thy almighty will upon my ministry. Oliver, may God bless you and encourage you and help you and make you fruitful in every aspect of the ministry. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for the instructions that You have given to us in Your Word that Paul gave to Timothy and to Titus. Thank You, Lord, for the way the ministry is described in Your Word. And Father, I pray for Your blessing to be on Oliver. And I pray for Your protection to be upon him now. Set the seal of Your approval upon him. Bless him and his family, we pray. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. So it is my responsibility tonight to give a charge to the church, which I am about to do. And the purpose of giving a charge to the church for you as a congregation is to make you aware of certain responsibilities you have as a church body towards Oliver as one of your elders. And for this, I'd like us to look at two verses of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, where the Apostle Paul writes, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. Now, the words that the New Testament normally uses for a church leader are either pastor, elder, or overseer. Bob mentioned a number of other terms that also are related to church leadership, but when there's a a title given, it's either pastor, elder, or overseer. But I want you to notice that curiously, in these verses to the Thessalonians that I just read to you, Paul doesn't use any of these terms. Instead, he simply mentions the responsibilities that church leaders have. He says that they diligently labor among you, they have charge over you, and they instruct you. And the most plausible explanation for this omission of a title for these leaders at Thessalonica is that Paul hadn't yet officially appointed any of them to be elders simply because he didn't have the time to do this. As you might recall, the Apostle Paul spent only a brief period of time in the city of Thessalonica after establishing this church, after planting this church before he had to leave quickly due to persecution. But apparently, in his absence, there were certain men who arose from among the congregation who just naturally gravitated to becoming leaders in the church. And no doubt Paul would later officially appoint them as elders upon his return to Thessalonica. But for right now, these were men without a title of elder or pastor or overseer. And the apostle felt it necessary for the congregation to understand their responsibilities as a church body towards these men. And so Paul wrote these two verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, in which he reveals two very specific, very pointed responsibilities every congregation has towards its elders, with the first responsibility being this, to know them. Paul said in verse 12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate Let's stop there. The first thing Paul says is that you as a congregation are to appreciate those who lead you. Now, the word that's translated appreciate is actually the Greek word meaning to know, as in to know someone. But because it sounds a bit odd for Paul to be telling the Thessalonians that they should know their church leaders, translators, it appears, have taken some liberties with the word, it being translated in the New American Standard Bible, the translation which I use as appreciate, and then the English Standard Bible, Bible, the ESV, as respect. And certainly we as a church are to appreciate and we are to respect Oliver and all of our elders at Lakeside. But nonetheless, the fact remains that in this verse, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, used the word that means to know he didn't use appreciate he didn't use respect he said to know so what did the apostle mean by this I and mean, why would he tell a church to know its leaders don't they already know who the leaders are well we have to remember the context of this command it's very likely that in this brand new congregation of believers in Thessalonica that there were some men church leaders who due to their spiritual gifts and their personalities had received more public attention than others. This is actually the way it tends to work in every local church. Certain leaders just have a a higher public profile than others. Other elders tend to work more behind the scenes in a less public setting than others. And so apparently what Paul is exhorting the congregation at Thessalonica to do is to make sure that they put some effort into getting to know all of their leaders and not just the ones they see in front of them every Sunday. And his purpose in telling them this isn't for the congregation to simply identify who their leaders are. He wants them to know them all, even those who humbly labor behind the scenes so that so that they can appreciate and esteem them all and show love to all of them, not just the ones up on Sunday morning. So how do we as a congregation apply this command when it comes to Oliver? Well, most of the church doesn't see the work that Oliver does, but regardless of whether or not you observe him ministering, you are to make sure that you know him. You are to make sure that you put some effort into knowing him, And that you give him the same honor, the same respect, the same love that you give to me who you see each Sunday. And the reason that you are to honor and esteem and love him and make an effort to know him is because of the way he serves this local church. The work he does for you as a congregation. And that's why Paul proceeds to tell us three things that all godly leaders, all qualified, biblically sound godly men, do as elders for their congregation. Three things. First of all, Paul says they work hard for you. They work hard for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. First thing Paul says about what elders do is that they diligently labor among you. Among you. And the particular word that the apostle uses here for labor, it's a strong word. It means to work strenuously to the point that when these men finish their work, they're weary, they're tired, they're exhausted. And the hard work that Paul is referring to is the work that church leaders do for the church in their service to you and to the Lord as a congregation. Listen, the work of being a pastor which is exactly what Oliver will be, it's hard. It is exhausting. Some people have the notion that all a pastor does is get up for a few minutes on Sunday and speak off of the top of his head. Nothing can be further from the truth. It's not it at all. Oliver, like all of our elders, puts in many hours to prepare his teaching lessons. I know that for a fact. He's also involved in counseling members of this church. Having meetings with people, telephone calls, going to two elder meetings a month, which usually go from 6.30 till at least 9.30 at night, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a little later. He's involved in various teaching situations, discipleship ministry meetings, and along now with Jack Jenkins, he is currently involved in establishing our new community home groups, which is a daunting, exhausting task. And in addition, Oliver has a full-time job as Bible teacher at Lakeside Christian School. He also has a wife and children that he needs to be with, as, as Bob mentioned. And he, he needs to make sure that they are his top priorities for ministry. And Oliver does all of this and so much more, and he does it for the welfare of you, the congregation of Lakeside Community Chapel. And So just because you may not see him up here, In the pulpit on Sundays, or you may not be in his particular group, the group that he's ministering to, you are still to know him so that you can show him respect and honor and love befitting one who works so hard on your behalf. Second thing that elders do for you, for which you should esteem and respect them, is that in addition to working hard for you, Paul says that they lead you. He goes on to say, and have charge over you in the Lord. What does he mean by this, they have charge over you? Well, the thought here is that they have the general oversight of the church. Oliver, along with all the elders, will have general oversight of the church. Now, what that means is that Oliver, as I said with the other elders, has the enormous task, the enormous task of leading, guiding, and caring for the people of this congregation. This involves making key decisions that that affect your lives giving biblical solutions to those who come to him for help and offering godly input at elders' meetings pertaining to the general direction of our church. And for that, Paul says, you should highly value him, you should get to know him, you should respect him, you should love him third work that elders do for you for which you should esteem and respect and love them and to work hard at knowing them is that in addition to working hard for you in addition to leading you Paul says they instruct you he goes on at the end of verse 12 to say and give you instruction another way that Paul says that Oliver will work hard for you is that he will give you as a congregation. It could be from the pulpit here. It could be in Sunday school classes. It could be in a whole host of other ways. But he will give you biblical instruction. And specifically, the kind of instruction that Paul has in mind, based on the Greek word that he uses here, is admonishment. What does admonishment mean? Well, it involves placing truth into someone's mind. That's what the word means, to place truth into someone's mind. But it has an emphasis on correcting someone, on reminding that person of biblical truths that they've forgotten and warning them about the consequences of disobedience. Now, as an elder, Oliver will be responsible for all kinds of biblical teaching, including the work of correcting those who are in error, which I will tell you is not an easy thing to do, especially when you are younger than the person that you're correcting. But Oliver will do it, and he'll do it because that's what loving shepherds do for the sake of the welfare of the flock. For this work of admonishment, you should know him, love him, respect him, appreciate him, value him. And for these reasons, all of you need to know and appreciate Oliver because as an elder, he'll work hard for you, he'll lead you, and he will instruct you. There's another specific responsibility, a second responsibility Paul writes about that we as a congregation have towards Oliver. In addition to making an effort to know him, Paul says that we are to esteem him very highly in love. Verse 13 says, and that you esteem them meaning these leaders, very highly in love because of their work. Paul says that we are to esteem Oliver very highly in love because of the work that he does do and the work he will continue to do on our behalf. So how can we actually do this? What can we do towards Oliver to show him our love and our esteem? Let me offer some practical suggestions. First of all, be responsive when he teaches. Obey the biblical truths that he is expounding and teaching. There's nothing that encourages a Bible teacher more than people obeying what you're teaching. Nothing more important. The Apostle John said that, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. So be responsive when he teaches. Obey the biblical truths that he's teaching you. Secondly, show him respect. Even though he's younger than many of you, show him the respect do to an elder one who is in the position of being a pastor third pray for him pray for his family pray for his character to be christ-like pray that he continues to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ pray for his study time to be fruitful as bob pointed out that he would cultivate godliness as he takes heed to his own life spends time in prayer and in the word Pray for him to be disciplined in the use of his time. Pray for his relationship with Olivia to honor Christ in every way, to never grow stale in that relationship. Pray for him to spend both quality and and quantity time with his family, his children. And pray for him to be wise as he instructs his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Pastors' children, they don't automatically come to faith in Christ. And so pray for Oliver's children. Pray for Oliver and Olivia's children, that they'll come to know Christ and that the Lord will will use Oliver as he trains them in the Lord. In addition, show him love by protecting him from the slander of others. When you are in a leadership position, anyone can take a shot at you. But don't listen to that kind of talk. Don't listen at all, and don't participate in gossipy talk about him or any of the elders And so this is my charge to you, Lakeside Community Chapel, to know and appreciate this man and to highly esteem him in love. I'd like at this time to call up Oliver and Olivia. I want to call up all the elders, including Bob, Bob Carver, so that we might lay hands on Oliver. I would lay hands on his head, I can't reach that high. I said that before, I'll say it again. Oliver, come. First of all, as others are coming, I want to give you your official certificate of ordination. This is the real one, not a copy, the real one. So all of you can come a little bit closer here. So what I'm going to do now is the elders lay hands upon Oliver and Olivia. I'm going to lead in prayer. Then I will dismiss Oliver and his family for food in the back. And then as you stay, I'll pray for the Lord to bless our time together and for the nourishment of the food and snacks. And then I'll dismiss you as a congregation. So let's lay hands on this man. Our Father, we, we know that it is the Holy Spirit who raises up overseers in a church. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, that the Holy Spirit has raised them up to be overseers, shepherds of the flock. And Lord, we know that you've raised up Oliver. This is not something that he just decided to do one day. You raised him up, but even in the language of Paul, you set him apart in his mother's womb to be a shepherd At Lakeside. You have ordained this, Lord, and we're only recognizing this. We pray your hand upon Oliver and Olivia. We pray, Lord, that your hand of great blessing and fruitfulness in his ministry will be there. We pray that you'll protect him from the evil one. We pray that you will use him significantly at our church. And Lord, we pray that as a church body that we would esteem this man highly, that we would respect him, that we would love him, and we thank you for him. We pray that in days to come, his fruitfulness will be apparent to all as he ministers. So Lord, may this night be an encouragement to he and Olivia and the children, and may you, as we said, set your hand upon this man of God for your glory and your honor. This we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to ask Oliver and Olivia to go first and take the children and go back and enjoy some food before everybody else gets there. That's what this is all about. I'm stalling for time. All right, while they move out, why don't we stand for closing prayer. Thank you for coming tonight. This has been a wonderful evening. I trust you've been encouraged and edified because the Lord has his hand upon our church to raise up such a godly man to be one of our elders. Our Father, we thank you for tonight. It's so special. Thank you for your blessing upon Lakeside. It's your sovereign doing, Lord. and. I just pray now as we have a time to get together as a church family and have some snacks and refreshments, that it'll be a special time of interacting, of encouraging one another, of edifying speech. We uh, are very grateful that we can gather for such an occasion as this. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.